Let us pray together. Dear God, how very precious is your capacious love for us. And we pray that all the children of the earth, all the children of the earth would find refuge in the shadow of your wings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So every October on our All Saints Sunday, we remember that we belong to a vast communion of saints, a great cloud of witnesses, millions and millions of people spanning the centuries and extending around the world. And then every January on Anabaptist World Fellowship Sunday, we remember a much smaller group within this vast communion of saints. And we remember our deep bond in particular with the million and a half Anabaptist, our million and a half Anabaptist siblings around the world. And we do so on a very particular Sunday, closest to January 21st, the day 498 years ago now, when Anna, the Anabaptist movement first began with a group of radical reformers risking their very lives by baptizing one another upon their confession of faith in Jesus. And I was thinking this week, you know, one of the things that I especially love about our congregation are all the life-transforming connections that we have with our brothers and sisters around the world. Did you happen to notice last Sunday, uh, we heard about this when Betsy Moyer shared about her friends in India, and when Sharon Crable shared about a friend she had lost in Ethiopia. This happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but not in every church. By my count, a quarter of our households have lived and served overseas. And all the rest of us have been deeply impacted by our relationships with global refugees who have come to us and made their home here in Lancaster. Think about the richness of all of these global relationships that flow through our congregation. I thought it'd be fun just to have a short roll call of all the places that we have lived. And I, I tried as I went through the directory to remember all the places that you've told me that you've lived and served. So just raise your hand as I uh, name countries. Brazil, Jamaica, Bolivia, Honduras, Mexico, Haiti, Congo, Tanzania, Kenya, Somalia, <laughs> more hands, South Africa, Palestine and Israel, France, Italy and Albania, India, China, 
and Vietnam. What places did I miss? <laughs> Russia. What else? Botswana. Thailand, of course. Swaziland. Yeah. I'll let you see. <laughs> well, wonderful. You, you, uh, you get a sense of the depth of our connections around the world. And you know, if you look at our bulletin on the back in our mission statement, and you go to the very last phrase or sentence in our mission statement, you can see that this global concern, our concern for the well-being of those around the world, is deeply embedded in the DNA of this church. And so today, we want to remember how urgently we need these global connections. Because, dear friends, we can only glimpse, glimpse the splendor of the gospel when we see how it is being lived out by our faith siblings around the world. It's not something that we can do just here in this place. These friends help us keep on discovering more and more and more of what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ in this world. And by the way, we help them discover that as well. Now before we get to today's story about Jesus and the blind man, I've just got to tell you a little story from my, or Danette and my seven years in China. That, by the way, has deeply reshaped the way that I actually read this story. So I'll never forget a starry night back in the 90s in China. A Mennonite colleague and I were in a rural town several hundred miles outside of Beijing where we were living. And we had traveled by train and bus and bicycle and foot to get to a place and to churches that were founded by Mennonite missionaries 50 years before. We didn't have their addresses. They didn't know we were coming. We just showed up. And we were in a place where some people had still never seen a foreigner before. And uh, sometimes when my friend and I were walking down the road, folks on bicycles would literally run off the road and crash. Perhaps it was the size of my nose. So. After our arrival at a local guest house, my friend went out to get some food, and of course, that is when, when he was away and I was alone at our guest house, that the very suspicious local police showed up and asked me question after question in their local dialect. And the one strong memory I have of that experience was how the room was just clouded with their cigarette smoke. But what I remember most vividly 
is the joyful visit of the church elders later that night. We told them right away, hey, the police have come. We're going to leave tomorrow morning. We don't want to cause you trouble. But they insisted that we stay. And not only that, that we come back five more times during my years in China. And those experiences deeply, deeply reshaped what I, how I think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world. In their fearlessness, prayerfulness, resilience, and joy. What joy they had. I experienced a warmth of faith like I had never experienced before. And as one of you, I was sharing this with one of you this week, and you said, you know why that is, Todd? It's because it didn't come from up here. Their faith didn't come up from here. It came from deep within their hearts. And though many of you don't know it, these dear friends are my conversation partners on many weeks when I'm getting ready to preach a sermon. And I often ask them, in my mind, what am I missing in this story that you folks see? Where am I blind? And in today's story in particular, sensing my own Western skepticism about Jesus' healing, they often reminded me how many, many, many people in their churches came to faith because of an experience of healing. In China, maybe a third of the church comes to faith through an experience of healing. So let us turn to our story in Luke 18, where we hear a brief but very dramatic conversation unfolding between a blind man and Jesus. Listen again just to their conversation. Jesus, son of man, have mercy on me. Two times. Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, to see again. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now let me just say a couple things about the context here that's very important. Remember that at the start of our Lord's ministry in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus makes clear that he has come to bring release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And here he is doing just that. Later, Jesus will tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Who stops on the road to Jericho to tend and help a vulnerable person, a man, and that is exactly what Jesus does in our story today. In our story today, we also see Jesus wanting to go where love has not yet arrived. Jesus is always going where love 
has not yet arrived. And so he stops and he actually sees this blind man. Through his actions, Jesus is saying to the blind man, I see you. And here again, we see his special concern for all who are suffering and invisible to the rest of us often. But what our Anabaptist siblings around the world would want us to especially notice in this story today is what the blind man does after Jesus heals him. What does he do? It's easy to miss. It's a little detail. In verse 43, he follows Jesus. He gets up. He takes one step with his body. And then another in the beautiful way of Christ. He joins the community of people in the wonderful or on the wonderful and costly path of Jesus. And after this story, the next stop is Zacchaeus. And if you have your Bible in front of you, you know that the next stop is Jerusalem and the cross. Did this healed man make it all the way? We don't know. We don't know. But our Anabaptist family and siblings would want to emphasize and to see in this story that God's salvation is never just a one-time event, but is an ongoing process, communal process, in which we are all being saved as we follow Jesus together, as we share our lives with Jesus and one another, and let our lives and our bodies be deeply transformed by him and by each other. So it's a very embodied, incarnational process that we're talking about. Not just saying a few words in our head and then going on and living our lives the same way. No, we walk and follow Jesus and it changes us, transforms us along the way. And here in 2023, dear friends, one of the ways that our Lord Jesus saves us is by liberating us from our identity as just Americans alone. Amen? Into global followers of Jesus who know that we belong to something much better, much bigger, much more beautiful than just our own country alone. We belong, as we love to sing, to God's great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. And it's a wide and big earth, isn't it? It's a big world. And we need big minds to really take in 
God's big vision. And so, with sisters and brothers around the world, friends, we are always learning, always growing, always discovering more and more and more about what it means to follow Jesus. We'll never get to the end of it in this life. Amen? And that's what makes it so wonderful. We're always learning, growing, interacting with each other. Todd, you've got this wrong. It's this way. These conversations help us to follow the path of Jesus. So now, dear friends, let us sing the beautiful Zulu hymn together. Somlandela. We will follow Jesus. We will follow Jesus everywhere he goes. We will follow. God help us. God help us. Amen. Number 566.